around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Today, not so new. We're going back in time, Ben. We're going to go back in time. You made a podcast (laughs) out of old Star Trek episodes? (laughs) (laughs) There's a good reason for that, though. Uh, We're calling it research, right? Yeah. How do we get to know Star Trek Discovery better than by going back in time and, and examining the episodes of the original series that influenced it? And one of the characters that was a great influence on a few episodes of Star Trek Discovery was Harry Mudd, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's in a couple episodes of season one, and then he got a short Trex last round. Did you happen to reacquaint yourself with the short Trex when, uh, when re-watching this? Uh, no, did you? Uh, I did, because I, I mean, I, I finished watching this episode, and it occurred to me that there was a lot of android crap in this episode, and that was kind of the, that was kind of the mechanic of the Harry Mudd short trek. Yeah, I remember a, a room full of his robots at the very end. Yeah, so, uh, so I went and, I went and rewatched that. There are not any, like, specific connections between that episode and this there's no indication that those robots come from the same source as the the robots in this episode it would indicate a dabbling though right because if this episode of original series uh is set 10 years into the future of what we're seeing in discovery then yeah i guess why would they be the same i wondered about that timeline because i also watched the uh, the little denouement on uh, madness to make the sanest man madness go mad. Madness to make the man go mad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> madness to really put someone in a tailspin or whatever, I believe is the <laughs> official title of the season one episode. Uh, parenthetically, they just called it madness, huh? <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, you know, he, he gets uh, sort of... Like his punishment is getting reunited with his beloved Stella, who is a character in this. Uh, but uh, the actress playing Stella in Discovery is a very young woman. She looks to be right. in her maybe mid twenties, and the uh, the Stella in this episode is much more than ten years older than mid twenties. I would say. I did go back and rewatch the end of that episode for the Stella part because Stella played such a. Such a central role. In they this. nailed the hair color. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but outside of that, uh, not much of a resemblance in in manner or appearance. I would say. I feel like if you're a showrunner and like a a writer plunks this script down on your desk and goes done with the episode, and you start reading it, you're like forced to consider what is going on with this writer back at home with their spouse. Who hurt you? (laughs) Do you need some time off? Show me on the Android where your spouse nagged you. (laughs) God, no kidding. Like, it's so weird that so many shows and and things from the 60s are just, just like, women, can't live with them. Can't live with them, but at least we can grab their asses. (laughs) 
Yeah. What an incredible artifact this is. I cannot imagine a TV show today having a, a character who's taking delight in an imprisoned facsimile of their wife as much as this. And also, I mean, like, he's a, he's a villain, but he's supposed to be kind of a lovable rogue also. Sure. He's a scamp. He's a piece of shit, in my opinion. Oh, jeez. <laughs> just got to make that clear for everyone. Uh, Benjamin R. Harrison is anti-mud. Yeah. If I see you at the Star Trek convention dressed up as this guy, I'm going to kick you in the nuts. Wow. It uh, looks like I will be going solo henceforth <laughs> to all future Star Trek conventions. But today we're stuck together, Ben, as we discuss a notable original series episode. It's season two, episode 12. I, Mud. And it begins with... Uh, <laughs> With kind of a fun McCoy scene, McCoy uh, is suspicious of a random crewman uh, whose only crime is acting a little too much like Spock. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's one of those McCoy is suspicious of this guy and rattles off the list of traits that provoke this suspicion and they happen to line up with traits that Spock has. The ears make all of the difference. The only difference, I guess, is this guy, uh, this guy, Crewman Norman, is an absolute unit and Spock is not. <laughs> Mr. Norman uh, is, uh, has been hitting the gym quite a bit, for sure. You don't hear about crewmen that, uh, that Starfleet officers hate that often. Right. And I like that quite a bit. Yeah. It's like any other workplace. You're going to get along with some people, and then some people are going to rub you the wrong way. Mr. Norman has been aboard for a little while, it seems like. He's uh, been been aboard long enough to cancel a couple of trips to Six Bay for his, uh, I guess, his onboarding physical. Yeah. uh, McCoy really wants to dig around that nuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've got to get to the bottom of it and see what makes it tick. <laughs> God damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor who really likes dick. <laughs> turn your head and cough. Now turn it the other way and cough again. Now look up at the ceiling and cough. Now let me get behind you and reach through your legs. Now make eye contact with me while I stick my finger up in here. <laughs> Now let's add a second. (laughs) And a a third. Give it another cough. My God, man. (laughs) Your rectal cavity is as large as I've ever seen. Damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor and a plumber. (laughs) (laughs) That is that joke's natural conclusion. Uh, But uh, yeah, so he's been on board for a while, but he kind of walks right past... Spock and McCoy in the hallway and directly to auxiliary control, which is a uh, a room with a bunch of switches and knobs and one ensign sitting at a desk. He he does a very casual karate chop to the ensign's neck, which uh-huh. totally incapacitates him. Which I really I really love the idea that like his motor control is so fine and precise that it doesn't need to look violent for it to knock somebody out. Yeah. He's a one chop chump. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mr. Norman goes sets about uh, flicking a lot of switches and turning a lot of dials and uh, up on the bridge they realize that something is amiss 
Yeah, what's amiss is they should have stationed more than one person at auxiliary control, right? Yeah, and maybe not an ensign. Like, that seems like a pretty important part of the ship. As soon as you're able to take control of auxiliary control, you have the keys to the whole ship. And up on the bridge, they're wondering what the hell is going on because they've changed course. And they don't know why, and they can't get control back. This is a trope we see all the time in in, uh, TNG. Definitely Data hijacked the ship in this way at one point. Um, it's, uh, Data never had the arms of this guy, though. No, yeah. Data didn't need him, though. You know, he had all the strength, but uh, right. But he didn't show it. He was, like, I, I guess, a grower, not a shower. <laughs> In the way that Mr. Norman is. Ben, if we just keep this up, we're going to break our own records to make jokes. <laughs> like, we've, we've got to remain calm. <laughs> all right, focus. This is within our reach. Yeah. Uh, so, so they send a, a little security team down to auxiliary control. The, the three red shirts run down there and find uh, the knocked out ensign. They're radioing up and explaining what's going on. And uh, the way that they're talking about it on the bridge is that the, uh, is that the ship has been invaded. They have an intruder. So uh, they realize that uh, the intruder is now in engineering because he goes down and beats the shit out of Scotty and all of his uh, engineering guys down there. Scotty's not a one-chop chump, is no. he? No. Scotty seems very, very fucked up. Like, <laughs> like he's like, he's like slumped over one of these desks and, and like unable to even use the radio. He's in so much pain. <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing at, at Scotty's pain, but like there's a certain drama to it that I do enjoy. Yeah. There's a dramatic panache. Every time I watch an episode of TOS, I'm looking at, at Jimmy Doohan's hands yeah like it's all i can do and (laughs) he has he is unbelievably good at keeping them keeping them you know kind of off off camera he's great i don't even i guess it's his right hand that he's missing the finger it's incredible how well he camouflages this you can tell somebody's a real pro tv pro or movie pro when they understand like what the camera can and can't see yeah. You know, like they walk on set, they're like, okay, we're shooting on a 50 millimeter lens. I know exactly where the frame is, you know? Yep. Doohan is a pro. Sure is. And not a pro at defending himself, though, against the uh, the attack of Norman. Yeah. Norman uh, winds up on the bridge as, as Kirk is radioing to dispatch security to engineering. So he's also presumably super fast. Right. And... Uh, and he explains that the uh, the ship is now under uh, under our control, and that we is robotmen. Right, and any attempt to seize control from the robots will result in the ship exploding because he's wired the engines to uh, the steering wheel. I guess there's a pretty intense shot where he's like explaining what he is and the camera pans down and he pulls up his shirt and it looks like he's about to pull down the front of his trousers and show that big crank off but in- <laughs> yeah, instead he's got jacked abs yeah this is not the effect that they had originally right this is definitely like a cg remaster thing this has got the phone inside data's body beat as far as effects yeah it's way good it's it's very good the uh, the seamless flap is also like really yeah. well done. It disappears. It's nice. How they do that? 
It used to be that uh, you could find the original, like, crappy version. Is Hulu still got the original? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what value that has at this point. I just want to see what that what what the belly computer looks like in, <laughs> in the original. Yeah. You want to A-B that? Is it just like a calculator from from the bank that you get for free for opening a new account? <laughs> yeah, as soon as he opens his belly flap, like it takes a second for the little solar panel to uh, pick up the light and then it'll turn on. <laughs> That's great. I wonder if you put your head up against Norman's tum, if you could hear the, the gears and switches go inside him. I would. That was all I was thinking about. <laughs> Lay my head in Norman's lap. Have him tell me everything's going to be okay. What he winds up explaining is that uh, they're going to be en route for several days. They're going to be heading to a planet at fairly high factor of warp. And he, like, crosses his arms and closes his eyes and goes to sleep. (laughs) And just stands there with his legs spaced a little bit wider than hip width on the bridge for those four days. He's the first Black Panther, right? He's sort of Wakanda Forevers and then goes into stasis. I would have loved to see him just like... He's a, an ally, Ben, okay? Coated with a little layer of dust when, uh, yeah. when they come out of war. It's fun. People emerge from the turbo lift and have to kind of walk around him. Not a great spot to stand for four days if you're Norman. I know. He doesn't grasp things like p- being polite and staying out of the way. He's just a robot man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot to learn, and that's part of why he's brought to, he's brought them there. It's true. So the uh, the away team beams down to this planet, and it's uh, I would say the TOS A team of away teams. All you're missing really is Sulu, right? Yeah, they've been handpicked by Norman, and you don't want to be left off of this kickball team. It is Spock, McCoy, Ahura, Pavel Chekhov, and Captain Kirk. They arrive to find. Uh, a, uh, a certain villain from an episode past. It's Harry Mud, Adam. <laughs> they got Mud in the throne, <laughs> and he's he's flanked by a couple of Robo Babes, uh, two of the five hundred fembots he says he has on the planet surface. Yeah, and he is speaking from a position of authority, not not just like kingly throned authority, but. He has all the power. He has this army of fembots, and uh, and he tells them all to get comfortable because this is going to be their home forever. He's uh, he's made himself sovereign, and you know because the robots are are super strong, as demonstrated by their communicator crushing fists. They're kind of an unbeatable force. And they eat old people's medicine for fuel. Mud gestures towards the garbage can full of communicator shards and it's like just imagine what alice could do to a dick (laughs) very painful and yet super alluring uh they they have a lot of fun with twins in this episode because uh the the two ladies flanking him are are twins but then like whenever they cut the camera away to kirk and the gang like one of them is always in the shot so it kind of it kind of places them all over the room. Yeah, fun casting challenge to gather all of the twins of a uh, of an area together. But it, I mean, the consequence is an episode that does not rely heavily 
on a bunch of uh, post-production. Like, you get some practical twins on the set. Yeah. You're, ma- you're made in the shade. They do a couple of shots where they're definitely, like, comping three shots together, but it's just, mm-hmm. like, so that they can have the same two twins on either side of the throne in the throne right. room or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's they have a lot of fun with it. Kirk's asking Mud the question that's on all of our minds, which is, do you fuck these chicks, Mud? <laughs> and also, how did you end up here? Because the last time we saw Mud, he was on that Rigel mining planet. And uh, what Mud goes on to say is that uh, he escaped and then sort of created a subsistence living around selling stolen patents. Yeah. And he's... Uh, and he's wanted on a number of planets. A number of planets want him dead. Leave it to Star Trek to have a character arc that hinges on patent piracy. Right. And so he stole a little ship and drifted to the planet where they're at right now. What is up with these planets where the, the penalty for fraud is death? Yeah, and specifically gas death or whatever death you choose off of their weird uh, death penalty menu. Yeah. Was he at the justice planet? <laughs> Is that where he got the idea to have all these androids rock this amount of nuck? Yeah. I, you know what? I love that headcanon. That totally works out. <laughs> the problem with Mud in this instance is that he's bored, and for some reason the androids won't let him go unless he replaces himself with a bunch of humans for them to study, which begs the question, who is in charge here? Right. He has uh, declared himself sovereign, but it is... Really in name only, because while the androids seem to want to be his servant class, they also uh, kind of wield all the power. Right. And, uh, and, and the deal he cut with them was like, listen, I'll get you like a bunch of humans, way better humans than me, <laughs> and, uh, and you guys can study them, and then you can let me go. You will not believe how Jim Kirk fucks. <laughs> You guys will finally know what to do with those things. <laughs> so he's got all these robots, and uh, he has one very special robot unit modeled after his wife, Stella, who is, like, sort of in a shrine, a shrew shrine. Yeah. He, like, sort of toys with it in an ugly way. <laughs> it's like a one of those exhibits at the science museum where you push a button and the dinosaur roars or whatever. Yeah. You, you push the button, the... The light comes on. Mud, what have you been up to? Pushes the button again, the lights go down. It's a Hall of Presidents equivalent of a bad marriage. Her complaints seem pretty pretty fair, right? Like you've been out drinking, you never do any of the housework you tell me you're going to do kind of kind of complaints. Come on, Ben, he's just trying to have some fun. <laughs> Why don't you lay off? All right. I don't, I don't mean to pile on Harry Mudd, villain who is wanted for, for capital crimes like fraud. You know what? Harry Mudd just wants to go out and, and hang with his friends. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And by the way, much like less severe crimes like human trafficking. <laughs> Harry Mudd's an adult. He doesn't have a curfew, all right? Yeah. <laughs> or a bedtime. I just think it's funny that the the punishment for human trafficking is way less bad than the punishment for fraud. Everyone knows your position on human trafficking, Ben. Good. But just to <laughs> remind everybody, I'm against it. 
So the backstory on these robots is that they were made by the makers, which is a great name for the makers of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of these makers died when their son went nova, and so these robots floated around the galaxy looking for a purpose, and it was Harry Mudd that gave them that purpose. Yeah. And that purpose, Ben, was to fuck him. <laughs> And hence the 500 editions of this one particular model, uh, because right. yeah, this is the one that he fancies the most. But there are there are other models, which is an interesting idea, right? Like there didn't need to be all these twins. Like they could have just had a bunch of androids that all look different. Yeah. Original series Star Trek really has interesting tone to me because they never break the feeling of being explorers. And if you're always in in explorer mode, I think it's really hard to feel like a character is ever in any danger. Right. Like they never lose their essential curiosity about their situation. And so when they observe the robots and they observe Harry Mudd's interactions with them, it, it never goes dark. Like the episode where, uh, where Data's kidnapped and made to be that guy's uh, zoo animal, like yeah. that episode's hella dark. Yeah. And this episode doesn't even come close to that kind of darkness. Nobody in this episode goes, It's 60s dark, I guess. Right. I would say that the darkest this episode gets is when Chekhov starts to process the sexual ramifications (laughs) and makes the the circle with his thumb and forefinger. We could do a whole episode on Chekhov in this, in iMud. Holy moly. Yeah. It's a weird, like, means to process the idea of a sex robot, right? Right. What can you say about a sex robot in the 60s without directly interrogating all of the possibilities for a sex robot? That's what iMud asks and answers here. Well, I can provide some insight, as uh, my business has been uh, going for quite some time as I'm eternal. I never really wanted to uh, write scripts of my own, but when people bring me in to punch up other scripts, that's, <laughs> that's very satisfying work for me. I did as much as I could to remove the stuff about Stella, because <laughs> I just couldn't relate to it as a man who loves his wife very much. <laughs> you will notice that uh, all of the dancing in the episode was written and choreographed by me. <laughs> Because me and my wife, Rashan, do enjoy the dancing. I would say that if I made an autobiographical character in this episode, it is Chekhov. Because he's the one that does the most dancing, and he's the one that is most excited about fucking a rubber woman. (laughs) They kind of divide and conquer, and by divide, I mean this crew just sort of breaks up, and by conquer, they just sort of explore the space on the planet surface trying to figure out uh, who may be controlling all of these robots. The idea that Spock floats is that there's got to be a sort of central operating system controlling them all, and so they set out to find it. Spock like just walks into the next room, and there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Norman is, uh, is touching the glowing Saudi Arabian orb just very, very casually while... <laughs> While making it clear that he's assembled his costume from nothing but clothing he bought at Two Exist. <laughs> he's wearing a, a sort of a pouch underwear that, uh, that a type of man wears uh, that is not me. Yeah, yeah. 
the uh, the codpiece budget alone on this episode <laughs> was through the roof. It is a massive nuck. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty spectacular. This is a giant cock. Um, <laughs> no one notices it. Like I'm expecting like McCoy to walk into the room and act like Scotty J from Boogie Nights, like <laughs> <laughs> totally breaking down. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you were sending me signals. I I want to know if you like me, okay? <laughs> Anyways, I'm always available for it. <laughs> oh, fucking idiot! Uh, so Spock is asking him questions, and Norman appears to be getting his answers from a glowing necklace that he's wearing. Yeah, they all have these necklaces on. The necklaces seem to be kind of like their serial numbers, uh, but like, but for the model, right? Like Norman yeah. is one, and and we see. Alice, number one, a couple of times, I think. Yeah, they're not treated as special, though. If you're a number one robot, doesn't mean anything. Yeah, doesn't it doesn't mean you're like the the first copy, and they get worse and worse. <laughs> right. When you're the sixty nine robot, it doesn't mean anything. Okay. Right. And so I wish you would stop asking. Fucking calm down. But the four twenty <laughs> robot is really chill, and oh yeah, they don't you know they don't comment on it. But that... you never see the four twenty robot in this episode, but you know where they're at. Yeah, in that cloud of smoke, that's where. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Samson. As they dilly dally around on the planet, uh, it becomes clear that the rest of the Enterprise crew has also been beamed down, and the that androids are up there replacing them. And Mud explains, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm stealing your ship so that I can get out of here, and the androids are going to be my crew. This is going to be great. Uh, so enjoy your life of plenty down here on the planet with these androids that can make anything you want. It's a problem on two fronts, because Kirk is uh, horrified that his ship has been filled with robots and his entire crew is on the surface. But also the crew that's on the surface is slowly being worn down by the many pleasures that the robots can provide, right? Right. Like, he's not sure that that his crew can resist the temptations to the degree that they could be an effective uh, resistance, and and he does he isn't sure of their ability to actually come together to fight back in any any way. It's interesting, like, this, this idea I don't think you could do in TNG because at that point, you know, there's replicators and total abundance... Like, yeah. this is kind of an era of TOS where, like, I don't think they've talked about, like, post-scarcity or everybody can have anything they want whenever they want it uh, as an idea, yeah. which is which is kind of like baseline in TNG. You know, this that wouldn't have any, any appeal to a TNG person because they're like, yeah, like, I could get that plus I live on that awesome starship. Why would I leave the starship? Riker's like, I already have all the women. And Geordi's like, I have a great engineering lab. And <laughs> and Troy's like, I don't want to live forever. And those are like those are specific things that are attractive to people like Scotty, Chekhov, and Uhura. Right. I love the idea that the the thing that is offered to Uhura is eternal life and it's not offered really to anybody else. Right. <laughs> and eternal beauty. Uh, they come up with a really interesting idea. Could a contradiction 
short circuit the robot's ability to process something logically. Like if the robots are programmed to make the people happy and they say that the only thing that will make them happy is being on board the entrepreneur, like what do the robots do about that? And it becomes sort of a a mission of theirs to confuse them in ways like this. Yeah, and at a certain point, the robots uh, realize that Harry Mudd is a no-good piece of shit, and so the, they're not going to take him with them after all. For the first time, he's kind of on... He, he, he is by necessity aligned with the crew of the entrepreneur. So uh, they put this this like logic riddle scheme into effect and start to do everything they can to confuse the shit out of the robots. The robots disclose that their way of becoming free is to enslave the human race by serving them. Yeah, this kind of like bottom-up control by slaves. We will transform ourselves into smartphones. (laughs) Rendering the human race incapable of thinking for themselves or paying attention to their surroundings. Smartphones with great big dicks. (laughs) So, like, at this point, we've got ten minutes of episode left, and... Most of that is just taken up by confusing bullshit. Like, the solution to the problem is for the crew and Mud to do as much confusing bullshit as they can. This is what we were talking a little bit about offline, which was how how strangely paced the TOS episodes are that we've seen, and especially this one. Yeah. Like, they get, like, Ohura getting the robots thinking that she's betrayed the whole crew, uh... Uh, so that she can get this immortality. There's a whole, like, Russian dancing sequence. There's the fake Scotty playing the flute and the doctor playing the the violin while Chekhov and, and Ahura dance. Yeah, Ben, it's the, it's the control room where they finally get the upper hand on Norman, and they are able to make him surrender by deploying the most destructive force in the galaxy. And that is improv comedy. <laughs> because Kirk's Herald crew performs for Norman and his one-person audience, and the androids do not like improv. No. They're like, you know, uh, saying specifics and then and, and playing by rules. Like, that's not funny. <laughs> You're just doing the same thing over and over again. Norman's like, do not like hack. <laughs> it's crazy yeah this and this entire setup and the scene itself is bonkers yeah they kind of short circuit norman's brain they're gonna get out of there and then they break it to harry mudd that they're leaving him behind because the form of punishment that kirk enjoys most is the marooning of people on planets (laughs) (laughs) this happens all the time this isn't even the first time he's done it on the four tos episodes you and i have watched together like Three quarters of the episodes, this is what he's doing. Yeah, he really loves it. It doesn't surprise me that it bites him in the ass. It really has the same vibes as the end of the Discovery episode where Harry Mudd gets stuck with overly lovey Stella and her grumpy dad. Right. Like kind of a, a in a gilded cage of his own making uh, is, where, is where they leave him. He's left uh, in the center of a swarm of Stellas just screaming at him. 
It's awful. I thought a couple of the dresses worn by some of the twins in this final scene looked like maybe they were used, uh, like reused ones from Mud's Women. Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Maisie series and Barber series androids are wearing costumes left over from Mud's Women. So, yeah, uh, that would be true. You know, that just shows the limits of Mud's imagination, I guess. It's too bad Sulu wasn't on this mission, right? Yeah, he's up on the ship. <laughs> he keeps he keeps making up excuses to uh, to pick up bridge shifts while Norman's there. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could work swing if you need an extra person. What if I turned my desk around and looked <laughs> this direction? <laughs> I could hang my cape on his great big dog. <laughs> uh, did you like the episode, Adam? Oh, I I loved Norman's bunch. <laughs> I mean, Norman's bunch gets fourth billing. It's we, incredible. We've talked about that crank a lot, but we haven't talked about the fact that his nipples are rock hard in just about <laughs> every scene he's in. This is a this is an episode about sex robots that really like neglects to discuss directly anything about sex robotics, but instead leans hard into into like a robot dick, one robot's dick specifically, yeah. and his nipples. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's as if like uh, standards and practices was like you can't like you can't make this about a race of sex robots. But I mean, the one robot's fine, right? And and it's okay if he's male. Even. <laughs> Wild stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those apps, Ben, that uh, it's insanely paced. But it is a ton of fun. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed the hell out of watching the episode, and I really enjoyed talking about it. But it's it's hard to, like... You know, we do the do you like this episode part of every episode of Greatest Gen, and it doesn't fit TOS episodes the way it fits every other thing for some reason. And I can't really articulate why that is. Right. Like, I think it's because we know it's not good. Right. You know, in watching this, I maybe more than ever was thinking to myself, was TOS meant to be a comedy series first and foremost? Because it is satisfying in the way that comedies are. Right. It's just light, light popcorn fare. Right. There are a lot of like big issues that they kind of, they kind of sail right past in this episode. They don't sink their teeth into the big issues in the way that TNG often did Yeah. in a heavier way. I'm enjoying the exercise of watching TOS episodes because of that very reason. Like, it's just, it's not serious like a lot of other Trek, and and I like it for that reason. What about you, Ben? Uh, I kind of liked the episode. I, um, I'm i glad I watched it. I uh, I don't think I ever need to rewatch it, though. Nothing will make you like Harry Mudd. <laughs> yeah, I'm against him. <laughs> Enemy number one for Benjamin R. Harrison. Yeah. Well, Adam... Uh, one group of people who are not my enemy are the people who leave priority one messages on our airspace. Do you want to check the inbox and see if we have any priority one messages? Sure do. That, that was the pivot of an android. It was so perfect, Ben. <laughs> it was a very casual karate chop of a pivot. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Eric. It is for you jokers. 
The message goes like this. Adam plus Ben, hello from Wellington, New Zealand. I'll get to the point. Why not hop a bunk bed and perform a show in NZ? There was drunk talk of a polar region tour in episode 227 of Greatest Gen, and I reckon we should make it happen. Wow. What would it take? Did you know Worldcon 2020 is here next year? I wrote them. If you get here, they would have you. Huh. Thoughts? I think the problem is the getting there and the uh, extremely high cost of airfare. Uh, if we could find a, a con that would, would fly us in, we would for sure do it, I think. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. If, uh, if the con is not willing to, to pick that, uh, that plane ticket up, I don't think we can make it happen. Ben, we got the exquisite joy uh, that only someone who panels at conventions experiences, which is having a question about a specific episode using only the number of the episode uh-huh. as the background information. <laughs> <laughs> as reference, like, 227, who could forget? Yeah. Oh, those are the days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, Ben. I, uh, I mean... It's been said before, and and we still have the position that uh, if invited, we will go. If elected, we will serve. But uh, airfare must be purchased. Yeah, that is that is our policy on appearances, and uh, it's no different for Worldcon. And uh, and so, if you were still in touch with those people, I would say ask them about uh, ask them about some biz class seats, right? <laughs> the three of them for you and me and Robs. Uh, Rob can sit back and coach. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, he's he'll be fine and coach. He prefers it actually. Adam, uh, our next priority one message here is from Doyle, and it's to Robs. Goes like this: The guys here at Air Traffic Control all love your two Star Trek shows, especially the bonus episodes. Those two guys you hired to do the talking part are okay too, I guess. I don't know about them, but. We all know you're a professional. Anyway, keep up the good work. Let us know next time you're flying, and we'll take care of you. Wow. Kind of an ominous end there from uh, Doyle. <laughs> I think Doyle could get us to New Zealand. Maybe Doyle is, is exactly who Eric needs to be reaching out to. Agreed. I think they could work together to, uh, to route a plane we're on across the ocean to New Zealand. I really like the idea that Rob's hired us. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you want to know why Rob's is flying coach? (laughs) It's shit like that, Doyle. (laughs) You just got him in trouble. (laughs) Well, uh, if you would like to invite us to a far-off place or get Rob's in trouble, the best way to do that is over at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which are a great way to help the ongoing production of the greatest discovery. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun and uh, I recommend it uh, It works great uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt you can complete your look with their new signature beard hedger pro kit plus handyman electric face shaver 
Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did. I'm giving it to Norman because of those rock-hard nips in that great big package. God. He's the milk-milk lemonade of robots. (laughs) Oh, boy, he is. (laughs) God. I feel like Jennifer Aniston watched this episode of TOS and was like, I've got it. I know what will make my character on Friends popular. He's got to make Mud feel terrible. Just his very presence must be the reason that Mud wants to flee this planet so badly, right? Gotta be. What a what a terrible <laughs> penile hellscape this is for Harry Mud. <laughs> Did you have a drunk Shimoda? I cannot separate the Shimoda from two people. I'm, so I'm gonna I'm gonna assign the Shimoda to both Scotty and McCoy because their speech to Norman uh, is insane. This. <laughs> This robotically practiced, robotically delivered speech that ends with, like, 
point your fingers into the bottom of their chins. <laughs> it's incredible. I love it. I watched it a number of times and I enjoyed it every time. Yeah. Like it is a, it's a gift to an actor uh, to act absurd this way. Yeah. And, uh, and I loved every moment of it. I did too. All right. Well, uh, that is uh, our review of iMud. Not sure if we have a plan for the next episode of Greatest Discovery yet. I think we'll come up with something good. We'll come up with something good. You could. We always do. Mark our words. We'll come up with something good. Have we ever let you down? Um, All right. This is my camera. Is this my camera? Look. We've let them down. (laughs) Other than the times that we've let you down before, (laughs) does it seem as though we will let you down again? I don't think so. Not on this one. We've learned our lessons. Yeah. We'll be good boys. I don't know. If it, if it means being punished by Norman, maybe I'll be a bad boy. Ooh, he'll be a naughty little boy. <laughs> Please don't stab me with your nipples, Norman. <laughs> Those things get cut glass. Ooh, my. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave it with Rob's from here. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye. That's Sulu doing McLaughlin group ending. <laughs> I guess it is. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is made possible by the support of our listeners like you. Make sure the show continues by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. If you'd like to discuss the show online, please use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.